Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Well, today we're going to pick up with another uh, portion of our, our um, book of Acts, but I want to start with Psalm 39, and we're specifically talking about purpose today, um, and the title of the message is Send Me. So if you don't want to be sent, you might be in the wrong place, but you do have to wait until I'm finished to leave. So, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Psalm 139 verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. There is this thing that I feel like as we go through things like the book of Acts, as we consider a summer on purpose, as we consider what it looks like to reach our city, as, it, as we consider what it looks like to look outside of our four walls, we have to come back to passages like this, where we recognize that God indeed made us, that he fashioned us. I love the phrasing here. This is, this is again, King David, he has, he has worked this through with God. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. It's one of the keys to success in life and joy in the journey is actually recognizing that God doesn't make junk. David doesn't go, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am awful in so many ways. I am just a lowly piece of garbage, barely able to come before a holy God because I'm just, no, he's like, you designed me and I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows that. That is not arrogance, that is confidence in the design of God. Isn't that incredible? And when there's confidence in the design of God, you start to wonder what I am here for. That when we have a revelation that God is God and he is the designer of the universe that we see, that he's the designer of us, it automatically pulls us to ask why. We have to ask why. It's like when you, we, we were away this week and uh, rented a car and you immediately want to know what all the buttons are for. And rental cars, for some reason, they take out the instruction book. So you have no choice except to push them all. What's that for? What's that for? When was the last time about yourself you asked God, what's this for? What am I for? What is my life about? Why am I here? One of the greatest lies of our current um, culture is this idea that, that you have to make your own way. You have to prove your own self. You have to find your place of influence. You have to, you have to earn your way to the top. The far more gracious way and the far more joyful way is to ask God, like, who am I? Who do you say that I am? What did you put in me? And this specifically in verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. 
The idea of that is that God actually designed us for a purpose. He wrote a book, but it's not a book that you actually have to, it's not like it's played out for you and you have no choice. There is God's A plan, and then there's our B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, multiple plans. Some of us are on plan N, and we're like, this just sucks. My life sucks. Everything I do sucks. Did you pause and ask God what your life is about? Did you pause and ask him what his A plan is? Because his plan is good. The thoughts that he thinks towards us are good. The the issues that we carry in our heart that we're struggling with usually can be solved in that place of just surrendering to him and asking him what he sees, what he put in us. So the idea of purpose in, in the dictionary is connected to words like intention, resolution, determination, ambition, aspiration, It's purpose. It's the stuff that actually moves you, gets you up in the morning, gets you out the door, gets you connecting with other people. Berkeley University describes purpose as the journey and a practice. It's both personally meaningful and makes a positive mark on the world. Is that interesting? It's personally meaningful and makes a positive mark on the world. So purpose is a journey and a practice. It, purpose is not I have a single destination that I'm hanging on to. It's the journey of every day. It's the what gets me going. What, what is my purpose in today? What's my purpose in this week? What's my purpose in the big picture? Personally satisfying and it makes an impact on the world around us. Most of this, um, you know, Instagram world, TikTok world, whatever, people are looking to be influencers. Influencers don't actually make a difference. Like purchased, like purchased influencers don't actually make a difference in the world. But people who live on purpose, live their lives out loud, live in the place where they're pouring out into the things around them, they're living what God designed them to do and be, it actually affects the people around them. It's the thing that when you're gone, the people who you have touched with your life will, will grieve your leaving. They will celebrate the gift of your life. It's found not just in doing something something influential or something extravagant, it's in living your purpose. Your purpose is how God has designed you to be, and it's part of this journey. When we find who we are in God, which is what has happened in the beginning of the book of Acts as we walk through this, people encounter the love of God, they encounter the cross, they encounter the empty tomb, they encounter what it means for God to dwell with man and to live in us because he loves us so much. And out of there comes this action that didn't exist before. Out there comes this movement that didn't exist before. Out of this comes this this zest for life that didn't exist before. Meaning when we find ourselves in God, we find this anchor that allows us to move forward into the things that we've been created for all along. When we know we are loved by God, we love others well. We have nothing to lose, right? When we know we are seen by God, we can lay down needing to be seen. Isn't that interesting? When we know we have an eternal hope, it's easy to offer hope to others. When we know we have been designed, we are compelled to live out of that design and to see the design in others. When we think that we've just fallen into this life, we miss the whole plan that God had for us, that there actually is purpose. And we talked about this a little bit last week, that in the very beginning in Genesis, we see purpose. 
When Jesus comes to the earth, we see purpose. Old Testament and New Testament, we see purpose. It is necessary for us to understand that God actually designed us to do something and to be something. And whatever that something is, we actually find great joy in that thing. And other people might not find joy in it, but we do because we were made for it. I was talking to my uh, brother-in-law this week and he's been I don't even know how many trips to Haiti and um, ministers there, but for the longest time, he worked in the oil patch, um, also ran a farm and just like kind of did life stuff, work stuff and um, provided well for his family, you know, loved his kids, but lived, I think he would say probably passionless, like he paid the bills, he was, he was successful and then he went on his first mission trip to Haiti because they needed some sort of a building crew and he was an electrical te technician and so he could, he could cover it. And he can't get it out of his system. From the first time he was there, something came alive on the inside of him that he didn't know was missing. And he's become somebody who just lives his life on purpose all the time. His family benefits from it. His wife benefits from it. His kids, his grandkids benefit from it because he's found who he was made to be. And it, it maybe wasn't time prior to that, but when he found the time and he found the purpose and he found what it was like to pour out to people who can't give back, he totally came alive. And this is what purpose looks like. The access point to going and doing is found in the foundation of being known and loved. It is the anchor of identity and it separates us from animals. Animals are all about survival. They just look for food, water, shelter to protect their young. They're about survival. Many of us live that way. We are about food, water, shelter to protect our young. And that's the maximum uh, expression of our lives. God has called us for more than that. That is the basic animal instinct is to survive. God's design is purpose. God's design takes us somewhere further. The relationship we have with Jesus makes room for us to experience more fully God's power in our lives and identify the original design. We are transformed through the relationship we have in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just give you this quote by Chuck Swindoll. I, I love his take on this on the book of Acts. He says, clearly, the apostles' faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus produced notable change in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Too often, our own lives do not reflect that sort of change. We struggle with focus over how others will re react to our faith or with breaking out of our own routine long enough to invest in the life of someone else who needs the gospel. And I want you to catch that last line. This is what kind of caught my attention when we're talking about purpose and we're talking about what God has called us to do and be. And some of us are like, I don't want, I don't want to like have my, my life ordered out for me. Purpose is life giving. Purpose is life-giving. Pouring out towards others is life-giving. But with that final sentence there, and so too often um, we struggle with focus over how others will react to our faith or with breaking out of our own routine, our own routine, our own box, our own timeline, our own packaging, our own what's possible, our own expectations, breaking out of our own routine long enough 
to invest in the life of someone else who needs the gospel. So my brother-in-law went to Haiti. My first missions trip as a kid was um, to Mexico as a teenager. As an adult, it was to the Philippines. But next door, across the street, down the, down the road, you know, the neighborhood over, the neighborhood right behind me, the neighborhood I live in is exactly the same. Am I willing to break out of my routine to share the gospel? Am I willing to break out of my routine to love well? Am I willing to break out of my routine to actually carry Jesus where I need to go? One of my favorite verses is um, in Isaiah 6, verse 8. And this is an example of what this looks like because essentially we can listen to this and we can study the book of Acts and we can be like, you know, that is so awesome. I'm so glad somebody did those things. I would rather not, but I'm so glad somebody did those things. I mean, personally, I'm drawing the line at, at Paul's or uh, John's being boiled in oil. Not, not a fan of that one, but um, pretty much everything else, you know, there's stuff that God calls us to do and be, and, but we, we read this and we're like, it's so good that somebody did that. We're so glad for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're so glad that Paul went and did. But am I willing to step out of the thing that God has placed me in and, and, and into the thing that he has placed me in? This uh, passage in Isaiah 6, 8 is when Isaiah is having this encounter with God. And he's come into this heavenly realm and he's actually experiencing the tangible, manifested presence and voice of God. And, and God's beginning to lay out the plan. And then he says, I, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's like he's in the presence of God. And God's talking in front of him, but not to him. God's like, okay, we're going to need somebody to go. Who shall we send? Who's going to go? And Isaiah's sitting there listening. I believe Isaiah at that moment had the option of going, not me. <laughs> no way. I know who these people are. I don't want to do that. I know that they actually don't do well with the prophetic voice of God. I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Isaiah had a choice. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And then he said, here am I, send me. God always gives us a choice. Isaiah was the one that was chosen for this particular mission, but Isaiah got to say no. This is like one of those words where we have to ask ourselves, how many times has God spoken around us to us? And we were like, nope, not hearing that today. That makes me super uncomfortable. That sounds expensive. I don't think I could get off work for that long. I don't think I could. I'm not willing to move. I'm not willing to change that. I don't want to change my, my schedule. I don't, want to, I don't want to adjust my life in any way. I can hear it, but my answer is no. Send somebody else. What we see in the book of Acts is a whole bunch of people that were like, here I am. Send me. I believe that is what is called for in this moment in history, is a body of Christ who's like, God, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. I am ready to do, to go, to be whatever you are asking because it's starting with the relationship that I have with you. I know who you made me to be. I know that you love me. I know that you see me. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to make anything happen. I am just giving you my yes. And I am willing to say, send me. 
This passage um, in Isaiah is a, you know, a forerunner of what we see happen in the book of Acts. And honestly, as we see Acts begin to un unfold, Acts 1 to 12 is basically in Jerusalem. It's the stuff that happened with the first church, um, the beginning of signs and wonders and miracles, the expansion of the gospel, um, beginning of crazy persecution, good things like that. Um, Stuff begins to happen and people are moved within their city to do things. And then as we get to chapter 13 and on, we see the expansion go beyond. What I love about that is I feel like sometimes we get so overwhelmed by maybe, maybe I don't want to go to whatever country in the world or maybe I don't, whatever. The first 12 chapters were in their own city. That's the starting point. The first 12 chapters were right next door. It was the house across the street. It was the person I work with. It was the person down at the fish market. It was absolutely up close and personal. God's not asking everybody to go all over the world necessarily. He's saying, will you go? Will you start with Jerusalem? Will you start with Grand Prairie? Can we start here? Can we start with something and begin to move on? And some of us have bigger picture goals. We, th we have things that God has sparked in our hearts and minds for a, a larger spread, a further reach. I absolutely believe that our province is meant to be impactful in the nation, that our nation is meant to be impactful in the world. Right now, God help us. We are a ways from being helpful to many. But um, that's still God's call for this nation. Where does it start? Right here. Right here. Right, right in an impact of one city in one province in the nation. God has called us to do something. So the beginning of this crossover happens as Paul comes to Christ and he has, this, he has this encounter with Jesus and Jesus begins to move on his life. Now remember, Paul has been moving the opposite direction. He thought he was serving God. And he, he was but he was more serving the traditions of man. And some of us can be zealously serving the wrong things. And we are fully committed to it. We need to be okay to pause when we get a word from God and go, oops, I'm shifting. I'm going where God has intended me to be. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, we see this beginning of what Paul has been called to do and to be really. Paul was zealous. He was, he was trained up. He was pouring his life into what he thought was the service of God. And, um, and he was a little wrong, but he was fully committed. God's like, you know, actually that, that passion that you have that drive that you have, that, that desire to be completely like immersed in something and leading something, it's actually from me. It's just misdirected right now. So he says in, in Acts 9, 15 and 16, it says, this is when um, he is, he's had this encounter, he's blind, he's waiting for somebody to come and Ananias is being sent. And God says, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's an interesting combo of verses. He is my chosen vessel, and he's going to come before Gentiles, kings, the children of Israel. He's going to have this massive impact. He's going he's to have the influence that he desires to have. 
He's going to have the impact that he desires to have. The, the thing that he's been pursuing all these years, he's going to have that kind of an influence. And it's going to be for my glory. And I'm going to let him know it's costly. What's one of the reasons we walk away from purpose? It's because we know it's costly. Jesus is saying here, he specifically told Paul, this is who I'm calling you to be, and it's going to be costly. In other words, count the cost and decide. You can decide. Paul could decide whether he wanted to do this or not. He could say yes or no to God, but he did it with his eyes open. I think when we say, I, I could just, you know, we could do a massive altar call today and just be like, there's, there's things God's going to send you out and we're going to take the city and we're going to take the north and we're going to share the gospel and there's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles. And we would all probably respond with whole hearts like, yes, I'm totally into that. But it will be costly. Counting the cost is a necessary part of this. And so Paul begins this, this flow of stepping into his life and stepping into his calling. And we're going to kind of just skim through. But Acts chapter 9 is the beginning of what this looks like in his life, the way it's unfolding for him. The flip down as we go through Acts chapter 9 is we see Paul go from being this guy that everybody's scared of to being this guy that encounters Jesus and is transformed to a guy who essentially goes into a, a, a secret place or a hidden place while God develops him. So just to give you a breakdown, Saul, as he was known at that point, encounters Jesus and he actually has a choice. He's shown the calling. Jesus says this in Acts um, 9. He is shown the calling and he is shown the suffering. He still has a choice. He starts preaching immediately in Damascus until his life was threatened. So the scales come off of his eyes and immediately he's like so zealous to share the good news of the gospel. He is telling anybody who will listen exactly where he is, which is the, the case for many of us when we first come to Christ. It's like, we just want to tell everybody. This is so good. We just want to tell everybody. And there's a passion there that doesn't, um, we never want to see that passion go away, but it gets shaped and it gets directed. So at the first, he's just excited and he's telling everybody and he's preaching right away. Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 24, or sorry, verse 23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So we see this prison break thing that begins to happen. Uh, he goes to Jerusalem. The other disciples were afraid of him. In verse 26, we see that. And when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So Paul has this encounter with Jesus. He knows he's called. He knows that God has his hand upon his life. And he comes to the other believers and the other believers are freaked out because he's there. Some of us, have tried to step out in the things of God and we bump into an obstacle and we go, mm, my bad, must have misread that. I, I'm, I'm evidently not called because you guys, you, go, you don't see in me what I thought I experienced and so I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna back away. This is not what Paul does. He has this encounter. They don't believe him. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, verse 27, and he declared to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road and how he'd spoken to him and how he'd preached boldly at Damascus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming and going out. 
So he had this time that he spent with them and he begins preaching and he's ministering. I've been accepted into ministry. This is awesome. Now people see me. Now they know me. They see my calling. They're letting me serve. And this is going really, really good for a little bit of time. And it goes on. And in verse uh, 30, it says... um, Sorry, verse 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. This is going good. His ministry calling, super smooth. Um, And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So he has this time where he's beginning to step out of ministry and all of a sudden his life is threatened again from within, which is this crazy thing. They find out and they send him to Antioch Or they send him home to his hometown in Tarshish in Acts 9.30. So in Acts 11, if you flip over, if you've got your Bibles here, there's this stuff that's going on. And in between, we see Peter and he's reasoning out with the Lord. The Holy Spirit's showing him that the Gentiles can actually be converted and this sort of stuff. And then we move on to uh, Acts 11. And we read that the church was scattered with persecution after uh, Stephen was martyred. Um, Paul was in favor of that. So awkward that uh, now the church is scattered. And Barnabas was sent to Antioch to check on the people and the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. So this is moving on into this place. Um, The gospel spread not because people felt called to move to other cities. The gospel spread because people were chased there from persecution. And when they got there, instead of wallowing in their houses and whining, dear God, we totally came to Jesus and we sir, told you you gave us life abundantly. And we... No, they did not do that. They were persecuted. They were driven to other areas and they shared the gospel. Some of us need to get over the wine fest because we've, we're just sitting here going, I, don't, I can't believe I'm here. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm in this job. Maybe you're there for a purpose. But wherever you have landed is a place that God has intended you, for you to shine the light. This is the stuff that happens. It, it has spread to the point that they actually send somebody to go and minister, find out what's going on there and see what is happening. And so when we look at this in Acts 11, We see that Barnabas was actually sent to Antioch to check on the people and the expansion of the Gospels with the Gentiles. While he was there, he ends up going and it says he went to Tarsus to find Paul and to bring him back. Now these verses, they just run together, right? Paul's had this time, the the people come against him, the Hellenists rise up against him, they try to kill him, they send him to his hometown, there's this expansion of the gospel because of the persecution, and now Barnabas is there, and Barnabas is sent to check on the expansion of the gospel, and Barnabas goes and he finds Paul, and he brings Paul back to minister with him. Do you know it's been 10 years We read these verses back to back. There's been this extended period of time, somewhere between 10 and 12, like give or take. There's been this extended period of time that Paul has been left by himself in his hometown after he said yes to God. Why does this matter? Because the whole rest of the book happens after that. Some of us, have been in a training phase. God has been developing things in us. He's been teaching things in us. And we are so disappointed that something didn't happen that we actually would abort the rest of the book. 
we would walk away from it because have you just left me here to die? It is probable that Paul, the entire time that he was there, that this is when he was surviving for himself off of the tanning uh, industry that he was working in. That was his trade. Whether he had that trade before or not, we don't know. But he was, he was having this, this um, physical experience where he was earning his own way, but also God was ministering to him. And he was having these revelations from God. So literally, he was gone. Not only that, when Barnabas comes and he comes to look after and goes to get Paul, we're talking he went about 150 miles to get him. It wasn't just like, hey, um, Paul, if you're not busy, would you mind just joining me? Because I've got a lot of work. There's actually a lot of new believers here, and we could use some help in the ministry. Somebody went out of his way to go and get Paul. These things matter. Just stick with me for a minute. While they were there, there was a prophetic word, uh, sorry, uh, he went, brought him to Antioch to minister with him. So there's this coming together, um, Barnabas goes to get Paul, brings him back, ministers with him. In verse 29 of uh, chapter 11, in fact, I'll, I'll start at 27, and in these days the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there's this thing that happens. There's a prophetic gathering. One of the prophets gets a word from the Lord that there's going to be famine. People are going to be doing without the people automatically begin giving what they have. They gather it together and they send Barnabas and Saul to deliver aid. Paul has been, he has encountered God. God has told him what his calling is, who he is. God has told him what he's going to suffer for his name. He's told him that he's going to come before kings. He's told him that he's going to have a place of influence. And now he's been called up and he's been sent to deliver food and supplies to people. Bit of a milk run. Barnabas remembers Paul and calls him up into ministry. We don't have an indicator that God says to Paul, this is your big moment, go with it. We know that somebody went and called him out and Paul said yes, shows up. We know that there's people who are ministering in the prophetic and somebody has a word that there's going to be lack. It doesn't say that that person has the answers for everybody. That person has the word. There's a group of people in that area then, the church, that begin to gather the resources and they go, I can't go. I didn't get the prophetic word, but I've got the, the ability to supply. I can give. And then they call Barnabas and Paul and they say, you guys seem to be able to travel. Can we send you with the goods to go and minister to these people? What I want us to understand is there is a whole lot of layers of actual purpose that came to play in there, right? It wasn't just Paul was called by God to do something. Paul was called. Barnabas was call called. The prophets were called. The people who gave were called. The people who sent were called. The people who received were called. There was a move of God that was purposeful and it required everybody interacting with one another. The things that we read about the gifts of God, we, you know, we all want to know what are our spiritual gifts. And if you, if you want to check on, the, on our app, we've actually got it on the homepage. You can do a spiritual gifting thing. Do you know the spiritual gifts make sense in the body? 
they don't make a lot of sense just floating loose. What if you were the person who had the resources, you could serve somebody with finances, but you had no connections. And you're like, I just have a lot. I'm blessed, got a lot, got extra. So good. You become like that guy that Jesus talked about that just built a bigger barn. I got so much. It doesn't make sense unless it's connected to a need. What if you're the guy who can travel? I just want to go. I have this urge to go and to help people. And what? Be a professional vacationer? Like what? It doesn't make sense unless it's connected to a calling. There's people that want to hear what it is you have to say. What if you're the one who's called to give the prophetic words and you've got the prophetic words, but nobody wants to listen to you? It's like talking into the wind. Like what, what is the point of a prophetic word if it's not going to move something? right? The whole purpose that we see in the book of Acts is this interconnectedness of every person's got their bit. Paul is the one who is the most prominent, but he is not the only piece of this machine. He is part of something that is far bigger than just himself. And so we see when this time finally comes, Acts 12, 25, they, they are sent out and they bring the relief money and the food and they take care of people. They minister for a while and then they come back and we begin to see something different happen. And so this whole process that Paul's been in, we're talking like 13 years of development and God is working out stuff in him. Everything that we know about career paths, goal setting, achievement building, it has to do with, I want to see the end from here and I want to work back in stages so that I can get there when I want to get there, how I want to get there. The things of God do not necessarily work on our timeline. It's not the same thing as a career path. I feel like if Paul had heard this in the first place, he, he had been zealously pursuing God in the wrong way. He had an epiphany, an encounter with God. I feel like due to his own education and his own, you know, strength at that time, he would have happily run in the other direction fully and completely. I'm serving Jesus. And he probably would have hurt people all along the way. God took the time in between to shape his character, to reveal to him things that nobody else knew, to, to show him how the kingdom of God operated, to develop him so that when it was time to stand before kings, he was ready. What is it that God has placed on your heart what is it that he's begun to stirring up on the inside of you and you're like, I don't see how that could ever happen. H how could that ever happen? The first thing that Paul did, the first major you know, outreach that he did was to deliver food and supplies, not minister to kings. Some of us are called to change a nation. We're gonna start with serving hot dogs. It's the stuff along the way that develops the heart, that develops the eyes to see what God sees, that develops the ears to hear what God is saying. It's the stuff along the way that Paul walked in and he was surrendered to the process. I love that he was willing to go wherever God sent him. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. And sometimes we're so busy looking for the big purpose that we miss that purpose happens a million times along the way. It's the process. It's the inward passion that has an outward result. There's something that's happening in the world around us and we can live purposefully like today. You might not know where you're gonna be 20 years from now, but you do have a yes for God today. 
It's these ongoing steps of obedience. It's these things that God calls us into. Paul was willing to serve the general purposes of God until the specific purpose of God was unlocked for him. We need to understand this. Certain purposes, uh, certain purpose areas have already been spoken by God. These are the things that we minister to the widows and orphans, that we care for those who are without, that we bring the gospel, that we preach to those around us, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that we shine the light of God, that we're generous, that we're kind, that we love the Lord our God with our whole heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the general things. They are instructions that can't be ignored while we're waiting for some great purpose to unfold. It's the up close and personal today. I can do something. Our surrender to, in our surrender to the general instructions of God, we often stumble onto the specific instructions of God. This is worth noting. In our surrender to the general instructions of God, we often stumble into the specific instructions of God. We can spend a lifetime waiting for God to speak to us some specific Go word. But go's already been spoken. Serve has already been spoken. Love has already been spoken. And in the doing, things begin to happen. We need to be okay with whatever it is that God begins to stir up with us in those moments. When you're doing your, um, you know, different shape questionnaires or personality questionnaires, gifting questionnaires put together, you know, what am I called to do and be? It's going to ask you questions like, what are you passionate about? What moves you? Well, if you haven't done anything or been anywhere, Titanic at the end sort of moves me. I mean, like, what moves you? How do you know unless you're looking into the eyes of somebody who hasn't got the answer? Unless you're looking and serving somebody who doesn't know how loved they are. Unless you're ministering to somebody who doesn't know how precious they are. Unless you're talking to somebody who's thought about committing suicide every day for the last six months because they think they have no value. How do you know that you have a passion for them unless you actually talk to them? And how do we get there? We're not waiting for this calling from God. It's the go, the general, that we suddenly walk into a situation where we're looking into the eyes of a little kid who's come from a broken, messed up house or somebody who's in the workforce who just feels completely lost and aimless or somebody who's lost in the occult who's looking for something of God but they're so demonized they can't see their way up for air or somebody who's drowning in debt and feels like actually the only way out is my life insurance policy if I could find a way to get out I would be okay for my family if we don't get out there how do we know how to love well it's not about waiting for the big action plan it's in a thousand yeses along the way and even if God's given the big call the big Paul had the big call blown off his horse blinded it, you know impact he had the big call and did a million small things until it unlocked for him. God is looking at us step out into these things. Last week we talked about William Carey's quote, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. The idea is the more we pursue him, the more we're willing to step out and attempt some things. Like when was the last time you actually asked God, do you have an assignment for me today? How can I serve you today? Who can I love today? Do you know, we've all probably been the recipient of that text. The day that you feel like, what is the point? 
I can't. I can't even anymore. And somebody sends you a text that tells you, you know, they love you, they appreciate you, they're thinking of you, they're praying for you today, and it's the lifeline. We've, we've probably all received it at some point. I hope you have. Do you know it's as simple as that sometimes? Getting up in the morning, you're sitting over your coffee, you're having your prayer time, you're reading your word, and you're like, God, is there somebody you want me to love today? Is there a way I can serve you today? Is there a way I can share the light today? Is there some little thing I can do? And we absolutely are obligated to care for the very, very broken that we see in front of us on the streets, the people that have nothing. But the gospel applies to the people that have millions too. Brokenness comes in all shapes and sizes and budgets. Sometimes it's easy to look and see brokenness when it's on display because the enemy has really exasperated things. But there is so much that goes on behind closed doors. And what if, what if it's your assignment? What if it's my assignment? What if this is some place that I can love and give and serve that's not hard even? It's just saying yes. Paul just said yes. All of these things happened before the big call unfolded. And we see that begin to happen in Acts chapter 13. So if you want to just flip there. And we're going to finish with this portion today. Acts 13, 1 to 5. And this is where the beginning, Paul's had all of this stuff that's gone on before. And now he begins to step into the bigger thing. Do you know, in this house, I believe, you know, there's, um, there's windows and there's pockets where I can see in my spirit, and, and I know many of you do as well. Um, I believe we're, we're called to influence thousands in one way or another. I believe God watches how we help the one in order to unlock the many. We will be entrusted with as many as we steward well as many as we serve well, as many as we love well. Within the house and beyond, we need to love well and we need to step up. There's places where honestly, it's just a matter of of going for coffee with somebody and spending time with somebody and letting people know that they're seen and loved within the body and without of the body. This is the stuff that God calls us to. Paul did this. And now moving on to Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophet and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in in, uh, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. I want to just pick up a few quick points here, and we're going to finish with this today. But if you're taking notes, note this process. We see everything up until this point, Paul's been developed, there's been stuff happening. Do you know if... Like uh, Elizabeth said in the video today, you know, serving in kids ministry, you learn patience, you learn kindness, you learn love. Everything along the way serves a purpose of developing for the bigger things. And when the bigger things start to happen, God can release us because we've already been developed. But it says here, starting in verse, um, 
in verse two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So number one, they ministered to the Lord. Why does this matter? It means that they weren't pursuing um, purpose. They weren't pursuing influence. They weren't pursuing destiny. They were pursuing the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. They're ministering to the Lord. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're loving God. They're, they're giving uh, him the honor and the glory that's due his name. That's their focus. They weren't sitting around like, gosh, what should we do now? Like we already gave food. We preached. What? No, they're ministering to the Lord. They worship, they pray, they serve. Number two, they humbled themselves. How do we know that? It says that they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Fasting is that. It is humbling ourselves. It means that they came and they brought the flesh under submission and they were like, God, we're actually stepping out of normal life by choice to minister to you. We're humbling ourselves and putting ourselves under your leadership. This isn't about necessarily the food. It's about the heart. It's about when was the last time we said, God, you're actually above me. Your instructions, your, your worth is higher than mine. Your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. I submit myself to you. So number one, they ministered to the Lord. Number two, they humbled themselves. Jesus did this when he was in the garden. And when he prayed, he was like, Father, if there's anything else that can be done. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Your will, God. This is humbling ourselves. And then, number three, they listened for instructions. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, so they're listening. They're not just in there to talk, but they're in there to say, God, is there anything you want to say to us? And the Holy Spirit begins to say to them. And this is a fascinating passage because it's the crossover um, from Galatians. And so if you want to just flip in your Bibles real quick, Galatians 1 and Paul talks about what it looks like from his perspective. Galatians 1, starting at verse 13, and we're going to go down to 17. And it says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, so separated me from my mother's womb. Paul's like, I wasn't waiting on these guys to tell me who I am. God separated me from my mother's womb and gave me a destiny told me who I am. He put purpose in my heart. He called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with fresh, flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What he's saying there is that when God began to show him who he was, he didn't go around asking everybody, do you think that? Do you see that? I mean, do you, do you think that I'm called to that? I mean, God told me, but do you think that? Or how, how, what's your vote on it? Like on a scale of one to 10, where am I at in the development process? Who do you think I am? God told him, he sat on it and let the Lord work on his heart until such time as the Holy Spirit told others. The nature of this age says, see me. 
See me, know who I am, celebrate me, see my value, see my worth, see what's in me. Somebody like, like me, heart me, share me, do the, do the stuff, know who I am. God told Paul who he was and he sat on it and let God develop him until the Holy Spirit told somebody else. This is important. Some of us are so prepared to walk away from our calling just because nobody else has endorsed it yet. When it's time and when you're ready, it will change in a day. One prayer meeting and Paul gets called up into action. Joseph had one moment in prison where suddenly somebody remembers, oh my goodness, there's a guy in jail who can interpret dreams. 13 years for Joseph too. 13 years and suddenly in a day, he comes from the prison to the palace. It didn't actually happen in a day, it happened in 13 years of development on the inside and faithfulness and serving and loving and doing the general will of God until the specific will of God comes to its forefront. There are times when we are so waiting for God to tell us to do something and God's like, I did. Like it applies to all y'all, like do the stuff. And when the time comes, something more specific happens. So he listened, they listened for instructions, and God gave this specific thing. I like the, the way that it says here, when the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Paul says, I was separated from my mother's womb. It wasn't man that called him. God called him, but man had to come on board with it. I mentioned before about um, our first trip to the Philippines, and it was one of those things, and some of you have heard this story a thousand times, but to me it's, it's life-altering because uh, we were sent by Pastor Paul because we had the skill set that was needed at the church there at the time, and they asked us to come and help. It wasn't a, oh, I really want to go. It was a, we were literally sent. And it wasn't until we got there and I remember the first Sunday in church and people began singing and I recognized some of the words. I recognized something that I'd heard as a kid that I had hung on to for years. Somebody had come to our church who had been a missionary in the Philippines and she'd given out like coins to all the kids and whatever and I had hung on to it for years. And in the beginning of life and choosing careers and having kids and you know, trying to just pay the bills, it was totally forgotten. Somebody sent us and in the sending, God reminded us of what he'd called us to be what he called me to be. Every, every one of us that was on that trip had an experience of some kind. God, God spoke in some way. But for me, it was a reminder of who he said I am. Now, Pastor Paul sent me, but really, Holy Spirit sent me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we are asked to do things and we maybe don't feel like, oh, I don't have a burning passion for that. Can you do it? Are you willing? Like, are you willing to at least ask God, would you like me to go? Sometimes we're waiting for this absolute skywriting to happen and God's just like, you know, I would like you to go. If you don't want to go, I'll send somebody else. Somebody's going to go. Like Isaiah, 
we got to send somebody who's going to go. Isaiah's like, pick me. I believe we should have a pick me just on the edge of our lips at all times, whatever that looks like. Some of us will go to the nation. Some of us will go to the corner store. Some of us will go to our neighbors. Some of us will go to our knees. But Lord, here I am, send me. After they get the word, it goes on and it's so weird. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Number, verse three, then having fasted and prayed, they didn't just go, awesome, good, guys, you're out of here. Having fasted and prayed, they literally went back and got the instruction. They made sure that they were aligned to God's will and his ways. So when, when we say yes, we don't just go off on our own strength at this point. We find out that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Come and learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. They're praying, they're ministering to the Lord, they're fasting, they're humbling themselves, they're listening for his voice. When he speaks, they carry on in fasting and prayer, making sure they've got the instructions right and they're aligned with God. And verse um, number five says, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. After they fasted and prayed, number five, they sent. And the word sent, this is really, oh, I actually made a mistake. So number five is they sent, and number six is they went. So number five is they sent. And the word sent here, I think, is really important. It means to, to free fully, to release, to dismiss, to send away. In the Amplified, it says they laid hands on them in approval and dedication. So when God actually puts his hand on somebody and he calls them up, it's so important. The other piece of the equation is we are to be sent. There is a blessing. There is a coming alongside. Like last week we sent care out. We want to bless those that are being sent out. We want to come behind them. We want to release them. We want to prayerfully uphold them. We don't just go, well, must be nice to be you going places and doing things. No, we send and we bless and we honor and we come alongside and we uphold. We become the other piece of the equation. And number six, they actually went. And so that matters because it says in verse four of Acts 13, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They can be sent and not choose to go. The other side of it is somebody is sending me the Holy Spirit has flagged this. I am willing to actually go. This step, this thing is being sent by God, but supported by men. Not sent by men. It's sent by God, but supported by men. It's this thing, again, that makes sense in the company of believers, in the body. It's this thing that happens when we realize that when we're part of something bigger than ourselves, our lives matter. Some of us are being sent and other people would love to go, but they can't go. Some of us would, would love to have the opportunities that we have, and others, others are going to support them. Some of us actually, you know, have influence and access into places other people would love to go. But they're going to pray, and they're going to uphold, and they're going to support. And it's going to be something that is like a hand in a glove, and you can't do one without the other. The things that God is calling us into, the purposes, why this matters is that we read Galatians, Ephesians, like we read everything that Paul did, but it starts right here when a group of people come together and they seek the Lord and they fast and they pray and they listen for his voice and God says, okay, here's the plan. And they come behind somebody who was a wild card prior to this. 
and they bless him and they send him and they're doing it together. I believe much of what we read in Paul's account of what happened when he shared the gospel is to the credit and it goes to the account of those who sent him out, who prayed and supported behind the scenes. It's the package deal. And so what God's calling us into in these times, and I believe this is the thing that we need to just be aware of. And again, I know we're in summertime. I know people are, we're having breaks and all of that stuff, and that is so good. But while we're on our breaks, it might be wise to ask God, like, I need to know my purpose. Maybe I'm going to get a 10-year plan. Maybe I'm going to get a 20-year plan. Maybe I'm going to get a today plan. But I have a purpose, and my purpose matters to somebody else, and somebody else's purpose matters to me. And together, when we all start stepping out in this purpose, things begin to happen, and the gospel begins to spread. Literally, we can't underestimate what it looked like for the gospel to spread across an entire region by foot. No YouTube. <laughs> like, people went in person and shared the gospel and changed the world. Do we care enough to share the good news of what God's done in our hearts to actually step up and say yes? Do we care enough to actually pause, minister to the Lord, humble ourselves, listen for his voice, fast and pray, be willing to be sent or to do the sending and be willing to go? Are we ready for this? This summer as we begin to stir up again summer on purpose, it's going to be the beginning of some stuff that we're doing as a church. We... Um, we have put together, um, the church board has put together a new budget that is specifically set for local missions. It is city outreach. That is where it's focused. If you want to, you know, give into those sorts of things, you can designate that in your offerings. But missions is going to, it's going to happen here at home. And we're going to begin to see things happen that are on our hearts. The stuff that God has placed here for quite some time. And we've been called for such a time as this. So I'm going to have the worship team come. Let's stand together. And I want to just pray over us today. I, I want to... Can we do that new name song? Yeah. I want to just remind you, if you're in the room today where we started, King David's word, that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That my soul knows very well. My days were written in a book. There is not a person in this room who doesn't have a purpose. There is not a person who is here by accident. There's not a person whose life doesn't matter. There's not a person who isn't seen and known and loved by God. We are absolutely made on purpose, for purpose, with a purpose. We, we absolutely are. And I want to just pray into that today because I believe that's the start of the whole thing. Can you imagine Paul having that encounter when he had been zealously seeking God and killing Christians, persecuting them, chasing them down to arrest them, you know, standing there and consenting while Stephen's stoned to death, having this awakening to who God really is and having something come alive on the inside of him. Instead of trying to earn his way into God's favor, he received the beautiful free gift of grace. And in a moment, you know, some of us have been walking around carrying shame 
from years and years and years of mistakes, things we've done, things that we don't want to let ourselves off the hook for, in a moment, the blood of Jesus washes it away. And when we have been set free and we receive that love, we receive that inpouring of forgiveness and mercy and grace, should we not be compelled to share so great a grace? Should we not be compelled to love with so great a love? Should we not be compelled to move and care and bless and forgive and extend mercy and extend kindness? Should the thing that we have received not be the thing that moves us to live on purpose? The early church who had gone from no experience of God to God living in us changed the developed world at that time. What are we called to do? You have been placed here now for such a time as this. So God, today we thank you. As we study the book of Acts, we look at what it looks like when forgiveness comes, when grace flows, when mercy flows, when lives are transformed by the power of the living God, by the love that reaches us at our most unlovely. And we see what happens when a people, even in persecution, even in being driven from their homes, even at fear for their lives, God, were willing to pray, were willing to serve, were willing to share the good news. God, they couldn't contain it. Lord, people who spent time being crafted by you and developed and molded by you, people who stepped up when they were called upon to go, people who gave, people who served, people who lived on purpose. Lord, we ask today that you would help us to shake ourselves free from any place of our own confines, God, where we have decided that this is a safe zone and we're staying in it. God, we ask for an extra grace to shake loose of that. We ask God for your eyes to see what needs to be seen, God, ears to hear what needs to be heard. Lord, we do ask that you would help us with feet that run into action, God, that hands that are so willing to serve, with hearts that beat with compassion and love and mercy. Lord, with minds and imaginations, God, that can, can dream with you. God, creative ideas, creative plans, God, that we would have the wisdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you for what it is you're calling us to do and to be. And I thank you, Lord, that there's a corporate calling, but there's individual calling. Lord, that is anchored on the identity that we have in you, knowing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I pray for every soul hearing this uh, message today, God. I pray that the awareness of your love, the awareness of your design in our lives, God, would come to the forefront any lie of the enemy that tells us we are our circumstances or we are our past, we cut off right now in Jesus' name. And we decide to believe what you say. 
God, if Paul could go from being somebody who persecuted Christians to being the forerunner uh, apostle God who spoke forth the truth, we can be changed. We can transform. We are made usable in you. And Lord, we thank you for what it is you've called each one of us to do and to be. That if we have breath, we have purpose. Lord, I thank you for awakening us on the inside, strengthening us, God, giving us your vision, your plans, your purposes. And Lord, corporately, I thank you for calling us into times of seeking you, ministering to you, humbling ourselves, praying, fasting, God, finding out who's supposed to go where, when to do what. But Lord, we want to be on the cutting edge of what you are doing, how you are moving, what you are saying. So we align ourselves with you today, God. And we thank you for seeing us as individuals and corporately. And God, we say not our will, but yours be done. We submit to your will today and we thank you for the fruit that is about to be released in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.